We are going to be covering, um, continuing with our sermon series, Seeing 2020 in a Nearsighted World. And uh, we will be discussing today, Loving Like Jesus. Um, but before we begin, we will recite our memory verse together. And then I also invite you to say the message verse as well. So let's do our memory verse. For what I received, I passed on to you as of great importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. And then continuing with our scripture, verse 4, our sermon today, Mark chapter 2, verse 17. Read it with me, please. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. Pray with me, please. Gracious God, we do give you praise and we give you thanks that you are our mighty God, that you are the creator of our hearts, our sustainer. And we ask, Lord, during this hour, this time together, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to love like Jesus, that not one word would fall to the floor, that every heart, every mind, and every soul would be open to receive this message from you so that we may be edified and transformed by your grace. And all God's children said, amen. Please be seated. So, um, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So Jesus spoke these words uh, to a group of Pharisees who inquired why he chose to eat with Levi, also known as the Apostle Matthew, and a group of tax collectors and sinners. The Pharisees were the keepers of the law and the teachers of the law, and they were truly disgusted by Jesus' behavior. You see, in their mind, it was very clear. In the historical view, tax collectors were cheaters and supporters of the Roman government, and Jews despised tax collectors. So Jesus was a Jew and was expected to follow that tradition but he didn't. The self-righteous Pharisees were shocked that Jesus would eat with sinners. A sidebar here is that the Hebrew root word for Pharisee is detached and separate. The Pharisees were all about separation, but Jesus was all about unity. The Pharisees measured people by their reputation and intentionally neglected them. But Jesus measured people by their heart and intentionally pressed in to their lives. Jesus says, I have not come for the healthy but for the sick, not for the righteous but for the sinner. In a way, I think it's so interesting that the Pharisees were disgusted with the behavior of Jesus hanging out with sinners. As the keepers of the law, 
they should have known better because the ancient Jewish text in the book of Isaiah points it out that Jesus came to proclaim the good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, and release prisoners from the darkness. There was nothing in that prophecy that says that Jesus is coming to hang out with the spiritually healthy, the pious, and the pure. Nothing here says that Jesus is going to live a separate life. No. Emmanuel. What is that, everybody? Oh, let me say it again. Emmanuel. Yes, God with us. The prophecy in Isaiah declared that the Messiah is going to intentionally press against the wounds of the world and heal them. It clearly implies that Jesus will be with the downtrodden, the broken, the cast aside, and the folks walking in darkness. Hanging out with the pious and the pure was simply a waste of his time and his healing, resurrected power. Imagine being uh, perfectly healthy and being wheeled into a surgery room and having a team of doctors work on you. What a waste of time that would be. My Doug had gallbladder removal surgery on Thursday, and we showed up at the um, surgery center about a half hour early. How ridiculous would it have been if the nurses came out and said, okay, Peggy, you can come on in. We're going to operate on you today. I was healthy. Doug was in need of medical attention. If they had operated on me, it would have been a waste of their time and their energy and their technology and their education. and their, It would have just been a waste. Doug needed medical attention. I did not. Jesus did not come for the healthy but for the sick. Not for the righteous but the sinner. He is our healer, our redeemer and is continually seeking to save the lost. He does delight in being with us, and we know the presence of Christ is here with us. But let's not forget his mission statement, that he has not come for the healthy, but for the sick, not for the righteous, but for the sinner. And that was the case in my life. At one time, I was separated from the knowledge of God, and accepted Christ as my savior after many invites to church from Christian friends. I accepted Christ as my savior in a little tiny Methodist church in New York, and I felt the healing, beautiful power of Christ come upon me. I wish we had time today to uh, share all of the salvation stories of when all of you stepped into the glorious, beautiful light of Christ. The truth is that at one time we all walked apart from the knowledge of God. And when we were blessed to experience the love of Christ wash over us, it was a game changer. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So we must not forget where we came from. We were once separated from God in our brokenness. All humanity is broken in some way, spiritually, emotionally, physically. And when we come to relationship with Jesus, he begins a healing process and he pulls us into relationship with the Father. We move from darkness 
to glorious, marvelous light. Church, we need to remember the statement, the mission statement of Jesus Christ. He did not come for the healthy, but for the sick. He did not come for the righteous, but the sinner. Although Jesus was pure and holy and void of sin, he didn't come to hang out on the holy hill of happiness. No, Emmanuel, God with us. In the body of Christ, we have to be reminded not to hang out with just the healthy and the holy and the pious and the pure. If we have the living presence of Jesus Christ in us, and we do, then we are called to press our hearts outside the walls of the church, which means leaving our holy huddle and the safety of our holy huddle and the goodness and the predictability of our holy huddle and to go beyond the walls of the church. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, it says, to walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Walk, 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 walk. We have to walk in the way of love. The scripture does not say sit in the way of love, but there is an action required of us. We should be walking into the world willingly sharing the fragrant aroma of Christ in the lives of others. Jesus was all about walking and he modeled that throughout the gospel for us, walking in and out of towns, in and out of lives. As a member of this church, I know so many of you, and I've been blessed to see you love others. You are kind and generous with your finances and a quick smile and expression of love. Many in this church and the community have been blessed by the Christ love in you. You do reflect the light of Christ, and I want to affirm that. So can I hear an amen? Amen. So if you are currently stretching outside the walls of the church. I want to affirm that. And this is a message that if you haven't done that yet or don't understand the power of that, take this message as a motivating encouragement. The scripture calls us to a greater intentional mission. There is an intentional direction or agenda that Jesus is dedicated to. He's actually giving our, his mission statement when he says, I have not come for the healthy, but for the sick. I have not come for the righteous, but the sinner. He was deser- determined to seek the sick, the unhealthy, the broken, the lost, and the sinful. Luke 19.10 is one of my most favoritest um, scripture verses. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. To seek and save what was lost. I love the scripture because it reminds me, Peggy, that once upon a time, I was lost. And Jesus said, I'm gonna seek you, Peggy. He says that. I'm gonna seek you, Christine. I'm going to seek you, Emily. I'm gonna seek you, Dan. 
Seek is that action verb. This word seek is a deeper call to love like Christ and a reminder that we should intentionally stretch our hearts and our hands towards the sick and the broken in this world. In Pastor Nathan's sermon series, we have been clarifying the Christian vision so that we can see 2020 in a nearsighted world. We must see love differently than the world does. A Christian love is not casually tossed here and there when the mood strikes us or we feel like doing it. It is an intentional, supernatural, powered love that was birthed through the pain and the suffering on the cross. And it should compel us to save the world and share the light of Christ. As Christ followers, we have been given the eyes of Christ, the spiritual eyes, to see the sick, to see the broken, to see the sinful and the lost in a different way than the rest of the world. Because you know what? The rest of the world thinks they're doing okay. But we who walk in light as children of light, we can clearly see those who walk in darkness. We have the hope of Christ within us to share outside of the walls of the church. Jesus wants us to see and to seek the brokenness of the world and intentionally press our hearts outside so we can shed his light and spread his aroma. So what does it mean to love like Jesus in this context? There's a book written by Dr. Les Parrott called Love Like That. And in it, he explores what it means to love like Jesus. It means we have to become more mindful and less detached. We have to become more approachable and less exclusive. We have to become more graceful and less judgmental. We have to become more bold and less fearful. And we have to become more self-giving and less self-absorbed. The key word here, church, is become. What's the key word, church? Become. Become is a process, isn't it? And become is nothing that we can do in our own human power. Become is only something we can do through the resurrection of Christ's power in us. Becoming all of these cannot possibly be of our own power we need to tap into the gospel power. We become by preaching the gospel to ourselves daily, daily being familiar with God's word and connecting our hearts to the gospel. And that, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later and give you some resources to do that. Becoming we become by practicing looking. We have to lift up our heads and we have to look. And we practice becoming by pressing our hearts outside the walls of the church. So I could spend some time this morning just giving you more rah, rah, boom, die words. But I invited uh, several people to give a testimony this morning about ways that they have in the past, stretched outside of the walls of the church or have plans on doing it right now. So, uh, Tricia Cosette and Kathy Wars, if you guys could come forward. 
Good morning. My name is Trisha Cosette, and I want to share with you how several years ago my family practiced loving like Jesus outside the walls of the church. After experiencing the loss of my sister, I felt called to help a young girl who needed a big sister of her own, so I looked to our local Big Brothers Big Sister program. I was paired with a 12-year-old young girl we will call Holly. She was a lovely girl whose mom wasn't in her life, and her grandma wanted someone to help break their cycle of poverty, lack of education, and becoming a mother at a young age. Deuteronomy 31.6 tells us to be strong and courageous, for it is the Lord, your God, who goes with you. Being a mom of boys left me nervous about mentoring a young girl, but I was confident God and prayer would guide me along this path. Holly hadn't fully known a mother's unconditional love, having watched her mother repeatedly choose men over her. Although her grandma had been a churchgoer, Jesus wasn't really a part of Holly's life. Her family situation made her feel alone and forgotten, even by someone as loving as Jesus. My role as her big sister was to learn and encourage Holly's dreams, do big sister things with her, and show her unconditional love. When we first began our time together, Holly expected nothing from me. She was afraid to accept anything, even the well-balanced meals I offered during our time together. Living off food stamps and government assistance didn't allow for many fruits and vegetables at their table, although she did have really strong feelings about turkey bacon versus real bacon. And she often went for days at a time toward the end of the month without food, so it took a few months before Holly felt comfortable eating a big meal before going home. When Holly turned 13, she asked if she could invite a few girls to our house for a sleepover party. We agreed, and we soon learned about loud, giggly girls who accidentally break things and stay up until all hours of the night. When it was back to school time, we made sure Holly had school supplies and a few new clothes, including a winter coat. When we talked, I made sure Holly knew I could be her phone call for help at any time of the day or night or for any reason. We talked through her decisions, whether they were smart or not, and these conversations were always judgment-free and included plenty of love. After a few months, Holly's mom returned with promises of being clean from drug use and wanting to be a part of her life again. Holly was thrilled about this turn of events, and although I didn't trust her mom completely, I had to be cautiously optimistic and support Holly through her feelings. One summer, Holly stayed with us during the week of our church's vacation Bible school. She agreed to be one of the youth helpers, and we really saw her blossom that week. She loved working with the younger kids, and every day as we drove home, Holly asked me questions she hadn't been able to answer that morning. She was up on time each morning and generally came to church with a smile. We didn't witness a great breakthrough that week, but I know Holly felt Jesus' presence at VBS for the very first time. We were even able to give Holly her very own Bible for the first time. The most difficult part of our experience was establishing healthy boundaries. At some point, we had to switch from always saying yes to lovingly saying no when her requests became unrealistic. When Holly was put in a very difficult position no teenager should face, we stepped in as one of the only responsible adults in that situation, even though we directly went against Holly's wishes. We felt it was our responsibility to shepherd Holly the way Jesus shepherds us when we are in difficult situations. When Holly moved with her mom out of Marysville, we weren't able to see her as much, although we still called and sent texts, and I traveled to her as often as possible. 
We loved and encouraged her from afar for as long as we could, and we gave advice when we were asked. We continue to pray for Holly and her young daughter. We want her to know we will always be there for her. As a family, we know we loved like Jesus, and we were part of his transforming work in this world. We also know we pushed our hands and hearts outside the walls of the church. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Kathy Roars, and my husband Eric and I have three daughters who are in third grade, first grade, and a little baby who you often hear in the service. Uh, A few years ago, I began to volunteer at the elementary school my girls go to. And I'll admit, at first, I would volunteer, and then my schedule would change, and I'd back out a lot. And, but when my, my daughter got to first grade, I committed to showing up every week to read sight words with the kids in her class. And so I would show up, and the first week when I got there, I started to cry in the back of the classroom as the teacher was working with the students. The way that she intentionally cared for every kid in the room helped them and encouraged them and at the same time would brush their hair if they came to school that day without having it done, would remind kids to go to the bathroom, and would make sure that every student had lunch and a snack every day. It changed my heart and compelled me to ask, what can I do to help lift the burdens that these teachers are carrying, and how can I play some part in loving the students at this school? It was at that same time that the Lord was working in my heart and was opening my eyes to practice looking, like Pastor Peggy talked about, to look and to see where I could love and serve. And so this event led me to ask the question, how can I lift the burdens that the teachers and staff at my school, um, how can I help lift their burdens so they can love students better? When we read The Art of Neighboring last year, the authors suggest that when we try to love everyone, we end up not really loving anyone at all. But when we zoom in on those who are closest to us, our neighbors particularly, we have the opportunity to truly love them. So I want to say, if your kids are at a school, my kids go to Edgewood Elementary. If your kids are at a different school or if you work at a different school, I would encourage you to find ways to zoom in and to love those kids and teachers in your area. But if you don't have kids at one of our area schools, I want to ask you, do you know who our neighbors are around this church? The students and teachers of Edgewood Elementary School are our neighbors. When we drive to church on Sundays, we are going past the homes of the children who attend this school. And it's less than a mile from our door to theirs. It's the closest school to us. And so I began to ask, what would it look like for us as a church to zoom in and love this neighboring school? I asked the principal and the PTO what needs they have, and I kind of braced myself for a fundraising campaign. Not really from all of them, but in my head, that's what I was thinking. But of course, that's not what they really want. What they want from us is our presence. They know that, like Trisha talked about, Our presence will make a difference in the lives of the students. They would love for us to invest our time and energy into the lives of children and also teachers and staff. So today I'm asking you to partner with me in this dream. I have placed a card, or some wonderful servants have placed a card on your seat today. 
that has three different ways that we could partner in loving our neighboring school. And so I want you to think about how maybe you could contribute, and if not at Edgewood, how you could contribute to loving your neighbors and loving your neighboring school. So here are three, three ways I want to explain to you today. I'm going to be at the back after the service. You can turn in cards to me, or you can email or call me with questions or thoughts that you have about this. But these are a variety of ways we can serve um, to fit everybody's different needs. So the first one is to bless our school by providing dinner for the teachers on conference nights. Um, the teachers don't go home after school, and so our PTO normally provides a meal for them, but I asked if we could share that um, opportunity this year to provide meals for teachers after school on conference nights. So if you check that box, I'll just send you a list and you can sign up for what you would like to bring. A more involved way is to love the students at Edgewood. They need recess help during the day. When they have indoor recess, the kids are in their classrooms. And one of the teachers told me they don't have time to teach kids to play games or um, do different things with one another because they're monitoring to make sure they all stay alive during recess, which I'm grateful for. And so if you wanted to come in and teach kids how to play Uno or Connect Four, they would love to have you come in and just be a presence once a week or occasionally when you could pop in during lunchtime to do that. If you wanted to read to a classroom, if you wanted to invest in a certain class in a way, they would love to see our community and our church community come in and offer love to students in this way. Um, and at the same time, that lifts burdens for teachers because there are other people who are loving and caring for students alongside them. And then third, they have an annual event called the Edgewood Extravaganza, and they would love it if any of us would be willing to volunteer in May. I know that's really far away. So you can check that box if it's interesting to you to just do carnival games or play um, with kids, help organize events for that. And so you can go ahead and check that box, and I'll give you more information. But my prayer is that this is the beginning of a partnership with us in our neighborhood school, that we can learn to love like Jesus as we love and serve those who are right in our area. What would it look like for the love and the hope of Christ that lives within us to bubble over so much that it doesn't just transform ourselves, but it transforms the world starting right in our neighborhood? I would love to see this happen through the doors of our church. Thank you, Tricia and Kathy, for sharing that with us. I had another testimony uh, lined up for today from Pete Edwards, and he was not able to be here today, but he emailed me the testimony. So please listen to these words from Pete Edwards. Pete says that God called me to serve by teaching improv to children on the autism uh, spectrum. Someone sent information to me asking me to do this. It was not my concept. I had little experience teaching, with, teaching kids with autism, but I felt that God put this opportunity before me to work with a group of children with special needs. The year that it lasted was a great year, and I got to see emotional improvements in the kids. These kids and their families got to see Christ's love through me. This experience also helped me heal and blessed me as well. And that's from Pete Edwards. So let's give him a round of applause. <laughs> Loving like Jesus, pressing our hearts outside the walls of the church. This is a good reminder and a call for us all to make sure that our hearts are facing out. 
I invite you to look for opportunities. I encourage you to pray about and seek out ways to press your hearts outside the walls of the church. Kathy Roars has given us a local community opportunity, and I hope you prayerfully consider helping in those ways. But I also wanted to give you a statewide or actually worldwide opportunity as well um, to receive information about the injustice of human trafficking. We will have a, a, um, a government official come from the governor's office on February 23rd at 6 o'clock here at the uh, courtyard to present information about the injustice of human trafficking and the efforts um, being put forth to abolish it. God um, placed a burden on my heart several years ago about this, and I have attended many training and briefings on it. And I think it's just a great way for you to face your heart outward into the world because there's much brokenness there. And just see what God will do with you in that. Finally, in closing, I want to put forth a 30-day challenge to our church. Remember I said earlier that in order to become, the first step was preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. So, in order for us to do that, there's a spiritual discipline called daily devotions. You might have heard about it. Maybe some of you are partaking in it already. Um, but daily devotions are just a, a small uh, scripture reference and then a reflection that goes with it. It takes three to five minutes. But doing a daily devotion provides for us daily contact with God's word and enables us to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. So the church-wide, we, this year, we really want to make sure that we are reminding the church body that you are responsible for your own spiritual health and that you need to be uh, taking steps daily to make sure that you are connected to God. So this 30-day challenge is just for 30 days. The equip team has some uh, free devotionals for this 30-day challenge. If you're tech-savvy, you can get the free app on your phone. Um, and the equip team will be coming up uh, during prayer time to pass those out if any of you are here. If not, don't be shy. Please come up and get it. If you are currently doing daily devotions and connecting with God every day, we don't want to put this burden on you to do this on top of it. Just keep on trucking. But if you haven't tried this discipline of daily devotions yet, please get one. Or if you haven't even found anything for this year, please, these are gifts from our church to you and a challenge for the next 30 days to preach the gospel to yourself and to connect your heart to God. So, church, we are going to be um, closing out my sermon portion in prayer, and you're going to help me pray through the end of this sermon. And then we're going to have uh, the band come forward and the prayer stations that are set up on either side. If you have praise or prayer uh, that you would like the prayer team to, uh, to soak you in prayer confidentially, they are here for you. And during that time, you can come up and get the free devotions as well. So, will you all stand?
And we're going to say this closing prayer together before our prayer stations open. And if you note, there's a word there in red. So I would like you to pray with your hands open in front of you. And when we get to the red word, what do you think I want you to do? I want you to reach forward, okay? Very simple. It's just an act of um, intentional direction. Here we go. Jesus, thank you for stretching out your arms upon the hardwood of the cross so that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. Clothe us in your spirit so that we are reaching forth our hands and hearts in love. May bring those who don't know you into the knowledge of your marvelous love and amazing grace. Amen. The prayer stations will be open. The prayer partners can come up at this time.